Welcome to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. Today's message was originally preached on Sunday, April 4th by Pastor Rod Heppel. This is our Easter Sunday message and the fourth message in our Easter 2021 sermon series entitled The Battle of the Wills. Check out sardisfellowship.com for more information about our church. And now we're going to hear a poem that was written by our Pastor Tim. that will be read by Elsa Wierks, followed by a clip of several of you answering the question, how has the resurrection changed your life? Hello, my name is Elsa Wierks, and I am honored to read a poem for you written by our own Pastor Tim Voth called Resurrection. Resurrection. Lurking behind each fragile hope of every weary soul, veiled and sheathed inside whatever vessel one can find, a deep and longing question with an answer left untold. Can this life truly end, this quest? this journey once I've died? I'm struck by two equal impossibilities. I see the miracle of consciousness, our living selves, that all things living, breathing, love, forever wants to be. This impulse is sincere and true, yet death still chimes its bells. But there's the flesh, the temporary, waning fact of all, Not only grass and flowers and animals and matter fade, not even only humans return to dust and fall, but planets, stars, and galaxies, nothing here will remain. I knock and knock upon the door behind all that I see. Does God not see our vain plight? What of this foe that we hate? I look and look upon the dirt, absurd faith, make-belief, that I will see some sign of life return from death's dark state. And there I look upon the tomb, perfume within my hand, ready to bid my Lord farewell, along with me as well, I must lay rest all that I am, my hopes, my dreams and plans. For all is meaningless, a dream, a nightmare, or a hell. But what is it? that made me drop my alabaster flask, that shattered on the ground, air full of fragrance and dismay. The stone once there is rolled away. How could this be, I ask? The Lord of life is risen. Could it be another way? Death could not hold the one in whom we have our life. The door that has been locked since humans first began to die has been wrenched open. What pours out is light which stings my sight. He's heard, he's seen, he's answered us, our collective sigh. Death is not the cruel end. Indeed, it's death who's met his end. The king of death's been vanquished by the force of heaven's king. Torn from his hands are all the keys to which entropy tends. My fragile hope now bolstered. Oh, death, where is your sharp sting? Open are the doors of life, and I'm welcomed to walk through. The first fruits of the spring appear, green leaves, the dirt gives way. Enough with hopelessness and death, enough with things untrue. Enough with dead-end alleyways, enough with death's decay. My Lord's alive, and safe inside his life, I too will rise. No, not just me, but galaxies, No, everything made new. These grave clothes that I don right now, to my happy surprise, unravel with my undone heart, 
my life right now lives too. Of all impossibilities, a third has come to life. Jesus, born in Bethlehem, suffered and was crucified, was God incarnate, dark held fast, but could not snuff the light. Through trust in him, no work of mine, I'm new after I die. Now, behind each fragile plight, my doubts and fears aim my way. Behind my sorrows and my grief, when friends and family pass, at back of mind, even when my own mortal flesh displays, Christ's resurrection anchor holds through death and life at last. Answer this. How has the resurrection changed your life? It's given me a new life. <laughs> it's given me hope for the future and um, hope for everything I do in my life. I know there's a purpose and um, it's a lot of love. The resurrection has changed my life because it um, proves to me that Jesus is God and that um, Jesus' life is an example of, of how I should live my own life. And yeah, that just changes everything for me. And the resurrection shows to me that God has overcome this world and all its trials. I don't have to worry and that he's given us hope for tomorrow. I was just meditating today on the reality that Jesus has taken away my sin, all of my sin. It is finished. And the resurrection proves that. And I, I, the song um, Living Hope comes to mind. Um, and I just want to say the chorus here. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name, Jesus Christ, my living hope. It's made me a new creation. Uh, it's forgiveness. I've been forgiven. I'm no longer the person that I used to be, and because of the resurrection, I'm, I'm made whole. Jesus' resurrection has changed my life by putting me on the winning team. When life looks scary and I feel paralyzed, I remind myself that the final score has already been decided, and my team comes up on top. That gives me the confidence to face scary or hard times in life. How has the resurrection changed my life? Well, Jesus died and defeated sin and death when he was raised. So we're no longer slave to sin. So we need to put on a new self when we're raised with Christ so we can love people with gentleness, kindness, respect, and all of the fruits of the Spirit. It's, uh, it has proven or provided the evidence of the sonship of God. If he hadn't resurrected, had been resurrected then there would be no salvation it would all be meaningless the fact that he did re uh, rise from the dead is my uh, security of my salvation the resurrection has changed my life by giving me a new start i know that when jesus died on the cross he wiped away all my sins and gave me a brand new life to start fresh and love and live for him Easter and the resurrection are a reminder that this life is temporary and following this life comes eternal life, which is a place where God is glorified and Satan has no power. Because that assures us that we have life to come. Um, for me, I, you know, even in this COVID season, I have walked, I could say, 
almost completely without fear because I have a new life. I, I often say this is not the life. This is the journey to the life. But Christ's resurrection assures us of that life to come. I always love this line from when I was a Sunday school teacher. It was one of our themes. And it is the story of Jesus changes everything. And uh, I think we all understand Bill's heart in that the resurrection is the culmination of, of Jesus and the reason that we are saved. And I just think of my salvation, the, the day I was saved and understood, it's like, you know, you always hear about lost and found and dark and light. And I totally identify with all those cliches because I feel like it was like an about face for me. And I've never been the same. The story of Jesus totally changes everything. How has the resurrection changed your life? How would you answer? Completely, fully, joyfully. First of all, it is the most important event in human history. So it's the author of all things that exist came down into history and appeared in history at a time and place in the real world, really. Uh, and then he rose gloriously and he showed that he was in fact who he said he was. Um, and so it's the most important event that has ever occurred. Uh, and then second of all, it, it, it shows that Christianity is true, but we have um, historical evidence that the Lord actually appeared on earth and rose again. So I, I think that that's gives us huge confidence in what we believe. It's, um, I think Paul says that um, if he's not raised, then, then our hope is in vain. The resurrection has changed my life in the way that seeing Jesus uh, rise from the dead and defeat death, it just reminds me that um, he's living in me and I have that same power now to uh, defeat death daily. And um, I'm a new creation, I'm not held by my sin anymore i'm free and there's hope so i think the resurrection changed and changes my life because i used to think death was the end i really did think that was the end of all things and uh it's not and so that eternity is real and so that changes everything about what i think about meaning i can walk free because he was condemned the resurrection verified the truth of God's promises, which frees me to love boldly and live confidently for Christ. I would say that it's changed my life in the fact that when you look at the resurrection, it's a guarantee that we will be resurrected again. It's changed my life because when I, I was living a life of sin, and then because I came to realize that Jesus died for me to carry that sin, that... Um, and I want to live my life for him. That's very simple, but that's what it is. I couldn't do life without Jesus. I think the resurrection makes suffering worth it. Uh, doing things that have an eternal value worth it rather than short-term gain or, or temporary pleasures. Like a lot of the stuff that we as Christians do, and I myself may find myself doing, if there was no resurrection, would be a complete waste of time. <laughs> so we'd be pitied, right? We'd be the people to be pitied because we're giving up things that we could be enjoying right now, um, in a sense, for something that's got a more long-term benefit. It gives us a new hope. I think of uh, what happened 
when that uh, earthquake happened and the guards there realized too late that surely Jesus was the Son of God. He's the reason for the season, isn't it? <laughs> and Easter is a chance to magnify the Lord and to focus on Him. How has the resurrection changed your life? How would you answer that question? I'm grateful to all of those who took the time to answer that question for us on the video that we've just watched and for the time it took for some of you to record it and send it in to me. Thank you for doing so. As you can see, there are many different answers that you could give to the question, how has the resurrection changed your life? But they all have a theme and a focus to them as well. Some of you had an all-inclusive kind of response where you would say, in every way, or completely, it's changed everything. And it really does, right? The resurrection has changed everything. I think what's captured in a statement like that is the idea that the resurrection is the most important thing. I was dead in my sins, but now I'm alive in Christ. That's what the resurrection ultimately has accomplished for us. Uh, but it impacts every aspect of my life. It, it affects the way in which I, I live. It gives me purpose. As one person said, it calms their fears and it gives them hope. It's the reason why we worship, whether you're at church singing a song or in your garden seeing a flower blossom or bloom or out in creation just witnessing what God has done. The resurrection gives meaning to all of it. In fact, our whole Christian faith hinges on the resurrection. I think this is what people have in mind when they say that the resurrection changes everything. Now, hearing this, someone else might wonder, well, why? Why would a person answer like that. But I just want to say to that person who's listening today, it's because the person who answers like that knows the good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. They know, they know that if Jesus is truly the Son of God, that if he truly died on that cross, not for his own sins, but for ours, that if he truly rose to life again, then we truly can be forgiven of our sins before God, set free from the condemnation of them, made right with God Almighty, we're placed into his family forever. And when we leave this world and go into the next, we will be with him forever. That's why that person answers that question that way. You can't tell me that there isn't something on the inside of you that begs for an answer to the hurt you feel and the chaos you see. You can't tell me that you don't look at this world around and you wonder, what is the answer to life? I mean, what does our world need? A better education, a new government, a new government program, like a better economy, a vaccine? Do you ever wonder what this life is all about and what the answer is to the chaos around and the chaos within? That's what Easter answers. It's Jesus resurrected from the dead. Jesus' death and his life, his resurrection, has conquered sin and death. That's what we need, right? And that's what our world needs. The resurrection of Jesus truly does change everything. Now turn with me in your Bibles today to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where the Apostle Paul talks all about this. We're going to read the entire chapter. No, I'm just kidding. We did that last Sunday. But in this chapter, what we're going to see is that the Apostle Paul is having to correct the thinking of, of some of these people in that church on the resurrection. Um, for some reason, a small group of people, so it seems, were saying that they would not be raised from the dead in the future. 
And Paul is beside himself trying to understand their logic. How could you believe that Jesus was raised and not believe that we too will be raised? Here's how the issue is stated in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 12 and 13. But, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, which it was, they believe that part. How can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So Paul's logic here is very simple. If it's true of Jesus, then it's true of you and me. And if you're saying it's not true of you, then you're also saying it's not true of Jesus. That's how this works. They go together. You cannot break up the connection between what is true of Jesus and what will be true of us. I mean, that's the whole point of the resurrection of Jesus. He didn't need to be resurrected for himself. He needed to be resurrected for me and for you. What he did there on the cross, he did on our behalf, that we might be forgiven and live with God forever. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures. And again, in Romans 4.25, Paul says, He, Jesus, was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. So Paul passes on this message of the resurrection to them as of first importance, which means it's above all else. It's the most important thing. What is? Well, that Jesus died for our sins, not his own, and that he rose to life so that our sins could be forgiven and we could live eternally with God. That is the purpose of the whole thing. If the dead cannot rise, then Christ was not raised. It's as simple as that. Paul says in verse 14, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. He says it again in verse 17, if Christ is not raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. Now that's a pretty bleak picture. There's nothing left of Christianity if the resurrection of Jesus is not true. And therefore, our own resurrection would not be true. There's no plan B for the benefits of the Christian faith if you take away the resurrection. It's like all or nothing. You can't gut the Christian faith of the resurrection and still think that you have something. It's just a big goose egg. What do you have, actually? Think about it. A bunch of commands about how you should be good? Well, you don't need Jesus for that. There were lots of good moral teachings before Jesus came along. What do you have in Christianity if you take away the resurrection? A philosophy? A philosophy for life? Well, for what purpose? You know, it isn't worth it. Plus, as Dr. Archie Spencer says, it's not even good philosophy. Christianity is not about philosophy. It's about life and death. Born under Adam, we are dead. Born again under Jesus, we are made alive forever. If the resurrection is not true, Christianity topples like a house of cards. It has nothing to offer you. But, Paul says, it is true. Uh, he was one of those eyewitnesses who had seen the resurrected Jesus. And so in verses 3 to 8 of this chapter, he says, For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, again, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, and that's Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters, all at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, they've died. 
Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me as to one abnormally born. To this group of Christians in Corinth who were misguided on their understanding of the resurrection, for whatever reason, right? Like there's a bunch of thoughts around what maybe they believed about resurrection, but it doesn't really matter exactly where they were in air. It's the same kinds of thoughts that we still have in our world today. The point is that they were misguided on the most critical and crucial aspect of God's divine plan for humanity. They somehow thought that it made sense to them to believe that, yes, Jesus was resurrected, but they denied their own future resurrection. And Paul says, no, it doesn't work that way. In verse 20, he says, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. A resurrected Jesus is the first fruits. And so we have to ask the question, first fruits of what? Well, he is the first fruits of a future crop. And, and we are that crop, harvest. Without the future crop, there is no first fruits of that crop. You can't have the first fruits of something that doesn't follow. That's what Paul's whole point is. Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. When Paul says fallen asleep, he's using language there. Um, it's called a euphemism to describe death in a softer manner than the harsh way. Uh, we would do that too. We often would say of a person, he passed away rather than he's dead. Uh, Paul says they've fallen asleep. Uh, but like Christ, one day they will resurrect to new life. So in Paul's argument, he's defending the resurrection and he outlines from verses 12 to 19 seven different implications if the resurrection were not true. Uh, let's read those verses. But if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? Verse 13. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. That's pretty strong language, right? More than that, we are then found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if, in fact, the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Without the resurrection, look at what you're left with, okay? Verse 13, not even Christ has been raised. Verse 14, your preaching is useless. And again in verse 14, your faith is useless. Useless. I mean, it accounts for nothing. Verse 15, all the eyewitnesses of Jesus, of his resurrection, they're liars. Verse 17, Everyone is still in their sins. Verse 18, those who have died in Christ, they're lost. Verse 19, Christians should be pitied more than anyone else. Wow, that doesn't leave you with much, does it? Now, some of you in the video that we made earlier were making these kinds of points. You talked about your sins being forgiven. You talked about the hope that you had for eternity. And you talked about the resurrection made it worth it living for God and it would have been a waste of time to obey God if there's no future reward. I'm sure you were picking up on Paul's words here where he says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most pitied. 
Why? Why would we be most pitied? Well, because it accomplishes nothing. Without eternity, there's, it's pointless to live for God. Paul says the same thing in verse 32. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? Let us drink or let us eat, drink, and be merry. You know, so many people today live life with that kind of a philosophy. Uh, there's no consequences to my sin, my actions. There's no future judgment. There's only the here and now, so get as much pleasure out of life as you can. Eat, drink, and be merry. It's as much a theme today as it was in Paul's time for those people. In fact, at the time of Paul, there was this famous fictional character in the theaters named uh, Trimalchio. <laughs> now, he played this part, and at a certain point he says, well, well, if we know we must die, why should we not live? In other words, party hard! You only live once, right? But we do live. Even though we die, we do live either to eternal condemnation separated from God or to eternal life in the presence of God. In John 11:25, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. There is life after death. The question is, where will you spend it? What you do now does matter. And our faith truly does hinge completely on the resurrection for what comes next. If Jesus did not rise, then we're wasting our time playing a game called religion. But if Jesus did rise from the grave, then that changes everything. God is true. Morality matters. Eternity is true. Sin and death is defeated. And I will live with him forever. It gives me purpose for this life and hope for eternity. We are not wasting our time because of the resurrection. If you were to take the time to read the rest of chapter 15, you'd get a really good feel for Paul's passion for the resurrection and all that it means to us. He goes on to talk about how our earthly body is a seed which is planted, has one kind of uh, flesh to it, and it's raised to a new heavenly body, perfectly suited for eternity with God. So he says it like this in verse 42. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So how does all of this happen? The, the natural body turning into a spiritual body or a heavenly body? Paul goes on to say, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, die, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When God resurrects our decayed human bodies, they are changed. They are transformed into something more beautiful. They're imperishable. They're immortal. And when this happens, death is finally defeated. Paul says in verse 54, when the perishable has been closed with imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Pick up on the when and the then. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
For now, we do feel the sting of death. We would be lying to say that it doesn't hurt, that we don't grieve, and that we don't long to be together with our loved one who's gone. And many of you know this firsthand, and some of you, you're living it right now. It's very fresh. It's not that we don't mourn, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians. It's that we don't mourn like those who don't have any hope. So 1 Thessalonians 4 says it like this. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind, like the rest of humanity, who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. Now, we do mourn, right? We do mourn, but we don't mourn as those who have no hope. We don't mourn forever. At the resurrection, when our bodies are changed, then the saying will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Ah, it's gone. It's gone. In Revelation 21, it gives us a picture of what this looks like. It says, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. What a beautiful picture. That's when death will have lost its sting. It's defeated today because of the cross and because of the resurrection of Jesus, but it's realized for us when God resurrects us to new life, to live with him forever. As I was collecting the video clips this past week of people who were answering how the resurrection had changed their lives, I visited with Bill and Eileen McClellan. Now, some of you might not have heard that Bill's health is declining. Bill celebrated his 94th birthday on March the 10th, and in his own words, that will be my last. It's one thing to ask the question about the resurrection to people who are still thinking, well, death is a long ways away. But what a sobering moment to ask a person who knows that their time is very close to depart from this world and to step into eternity. When I asked Bill how the resurrection had changed his life, he looked at me and he said, God's promises are true. Jesus was raised from the dead. I too will be raised to life to live with him. Then he held out his hand like this and he said, I've been practicing my handshake. Hello, Lord, he said. I've been waiting to see you. But Christ indeed has been raised from the dead. He's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Jesus is the first in a great harvest that is yet to come. That's what the resurrection promises. That's what the resurrection accomplishes. The Apostle Peter, in trying to encourage the believers under his care, who are being scattered because of persecution, spoke these words to them about their faith and their future in 1 Peter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be re revealed in the last time. Jesus is risen. He is risen indeed, right? And I would invite you to join me in your hearts as we pray together and give thanks to God for the resurrection. 
Our Father in heaven, as we have considered the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, we are not just um, reminded of something that is a part of our faith. We are reminded of the central truth of our faith, that everything that we believe about this life and the life to come hangs in the balance of whether or not Jesus was resurrected. And we know that he was. We know that there were many witnesses that saw him dead and saw him alive. In fact, those same witnesses turned the world upside down. They could not deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And for us living today so many years later, we also look at the reality of the world around us and we realize we need you. We need you in our lives. We need you in our world. And you are our hope for today. You are our hope for eternity. Thank you. We worship Jesus, our risen Lord. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. For more information on Sardis Fellowship, please check out sardisfellowship.com.